stages and such as my shoulders and glory. So appreciate that. Amen. I'm reminded tonight of the verse in the Bible where it says that we have nothing that we have not received. And that's the case of all of us. Any truth that we have, the examples that we've seen, God has granted us grace. God has granted us truth. It's not of ourselves, and none of us tonight have anything that we've not received. And I recognize that tonight. It's the blessings of, of examples, the blessings of those that have, that have gone before us and poured into our lives. And I'm, I'm grateful tonight for this glorious gospel. And I'm grateful tonight for the glorious truth of how it is to be proclaimed in the biblical manner. And tonight I want to, to look at John the Baptist. You can turn in your Bible to the book of Luke. You know, the Bible says that the Word of God is given by inspiration and that it is profitable for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God has, as it says in the Bible, granted us all that we have need of for life and godliness. God desires that this gospel would be preached. And in His Word, He has shown us exactly how He wants it to be done. And I believe tonight that in the person of John the Baptist, we see God's model of evangelism. And I want to look at this man tonight, John the Baptist. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 76 through 80, and you know, it's so glorious just to read the Scriptures, to see the truth of God. And I believe the frustration of the preacher is this. You never believe that you'll be able to tell it as good as you see. And I just pray tonight that God would grant me utterance that I might tell it as good as I've seen it here in the Scripture, that you would be edified and blessed tonight that God's church would be equipped to fulfill this great commission. In the book of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 76, it says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of sin, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of His showing forth. Pray with me tonight. Father, we come before You tonight in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank You for that blood tonight. We do plead it upon ourselves, Lord. I do apply the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of this house tonight. Lord, we ask You tonight for a visitation of Thy Spirit. Lord, that You would come tonight. That You, Lord, would walk amongst us. Lord, we know it's not by power nor by might, but it's only by Your Spirit. And we ask of You tonight, Lord, that by Your Spirit You would enable me, Lord, to speak as the oracle of God. That by Your Spirit tonight, Lord, You would exalt 
You would manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank You, Lord, to do it. For Your great name's sake, we ask it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. John the Baptist, God's model evangelist. I believe tonight that through the ministry of John the Baptist, God has given us a type of biblical evangelism. If you think about this, that God sovereignly prepared and ordained this man, John the Baptist, for the sole purpose of introducing the world unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want it to be known tonight that the primary aspect, the primary requirement of an evangelist of God is not a love for souls, but it is a love for God. An evangelist must first and foremost be consumed with the interest of God in humanity. In this hour, evangelism has become man-centered. But this is not about man. This is about God. You and I were created for one purpose. The Bible says, and that purpose is for His pleasure. So if we are going to be evangelists of God, we must be jealous for the interest of God in humanity. And we see that in this man, John the Baptist. Every man of God that has been led by the Spirit of God has had a twofold burden. He has been jealous that the Lord Jesus Christ, number one, would have a bride in eternity. But not only a bride in eternity, he desires that while that bride is here in this earth, that it would be a suitable habitation of God. Not just a bride, but a body. And in John the Baptist, we see this burden as well. You and I were not just saved to sit on a pew and go to heaven. But you and I were redeemed, washed in the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost of God, and sent back into this world in order to be a witness unto God. When I was in Russia, I met a young man. He had been saved out of an awful and a terrible life, tattooed from head to toe, a mouth full of gold teeth. He had come out of the prison of Russia. And that young man said that God had given him a vision. I know Brother Britt says he hadn't had many visions. I don't think I really had any either. But I bear witness with this man's vision. He said that God showed him that he was to go into dirty waters and catch big fish with his bare hands. And that's what you and I have been sent to do by God. We have been filled with this Holy Ghost that we might go into this world to seek vessels for our Lord to manifest Himself in. And the Bible says of John the Baptist that this man sent from God, whose name was John, the the same came for a witness. John is the model witness that you and I need to look to in order to pattern our evangelism. In this divinely prepared and approved herald, we see a sterling and eternal pattern for all those who would seek to fulfill the work of an evangelist. And if that is true, it is both a great and a terrible reality. Because in light 
of what is called evangelism in this day. It is a far cry from what we see in John the Baptist. For if John does indeed represent the all-wise and unchanging mind of God concerning evangelism, then the message and the methods of this modern church are both unbiblical and antichrist. We went out to LSU not long ago, and there was a church in Baton Rouge that was claiming to be evangelizing the LSU campus. And for their evangelism, they set up a display with pornography in order what they were calling to evangelize for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've come to in this hour. Men using pornography and calling it evangelism. I've heard of churches in this hour renting the race cars of Dale Earnhardt and so forth in order to draw a crowd and calling it evangelism. I just can't see our Lord getting some chariot from a gladiator in Rome in order to draw a crowd. I spoke to a young man out at LSU a while back. He said that we don't go out and preach. We just go out and give people a Coca-Cola and tell them that God loves them. And I told him, if you want to give people a Coca-Cola, that's fine. But don't call it evangelism because it's not. The Word of God defines evangelism. And if we want to know what evangelism is, we need to look under the Word of God. One man told me he went into the prison. He said, we don't take our Bibles and we don't preach. We just love. The Bible speaks of devil's faith. That is devil's love right there. What is unloving about the Bible? And what is unloving about preaching? I, I met one young man at Southeastern University. He told me that Jesus came into the world to have lunch with sinners and tell them That was his impression of the biblical Jesus. But if we look to the Scriptures, as Isaiah said, to the law and to the testimony, what saith the Scripture? It says in the book of Matthew, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. He was a preacher of repentance. Yes, he was the best friend that a sinner ever had. But when he sat down with them, he said, I've not come to call the righteous to repentance, but I've come to call that sinner to repentance. He was calling him unto repentance. I believe that eternity will show that Billy Graham has done more disservice to the kingdom of God than possibly any other evangelist of our day. In this hour, Tampa's crusade for Christ has become the pattern rather than the Word of God. And they have successfully redefined evangelism and perverted the gospel by reducing it to a sentimental plea, wrongly placing the emphasis upon a decision accepting Jesus and going to heaven rather than repentance and submission unto Christ as Lord. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, we're telling people that the easiest thing in the world is to accept Jesus Christ. And I wonder what has happened to our theology, which no longer contains any hint of 
what it should mean to be completely and utterly abandoned to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And because of this evangelism, a vicious cycle has been set in motion. The converts are a product of the evangelism. False evangelism producing false converts. And false converts going out with false evangelism producing more false converts. And as Jesus said, they have been made twofold. The child of hell that they were. As Brother Bridge says, most evangelism, most teaching, most preaching, most ministry in this hour is preparing people to reject the biblical Jesus. And I would propose to you tonight that only those who are willing to respond to biblical evangelism will be prepared and willing to respond to biblical discipleship. And when we look at John the Baptist, a man who is not just trying to get people to heaven, but a man who is interested in the interests of God in humanity, the Bible says he was a voice crying in the wilderness. He was a preacher. Jesus said that He was a burning and a shining light. There was passion within that man's heart and soul. The Bible says that He was not a reed shaken by the wind. It speaks of conviction. It speaks of dogmatism. It speaks of authority in this man, John the Baptist. And He was a Nazarite from His birth, which speaks of separation unto God. He was jealous for the glory of God. He was not seeking to please men, but to please God. If you want to know what it is to live for the glory of God, it just means this. If God is pleased, that's all that matters. If God is pleased, then we are loving men. Can anything that pleases God be called unloving? If we will set our hearts to please God, then we will, by very nature of that, be loving mankind. And tonight, this prophet of God, he stands as a rebuke to the unbiblical, the passionless, the effeminate, the man-pleasing, gimmick-ridden evangelism of our day. And as we look tonight, I want to look at several attributes and characteristics of this man that was sent from God. May God give us ears to hear tonight and eyes to see. Number one, John had a supernatural birth. The Bible says there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because Elizabeth was there and they were well stricken in years. Impossible in the natural for them to have a child. But the Bible says, as Zacharias was offering the incense, that an angel appeared unto him and he said, Fear not, Zacharias, you and your wife shall have a child and thou shalt call his name John. And just as it was spoken, it says in Luke 1 and 24, after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. 
This is overlooked in our hour. But the first requirement of being an evangelist for God is a man must have a supernatural birth. I believe tonight that most problems in the church that we face today, Brother Arnold, would be solved if people were just born again. We're trying to get people to be salt and light that are not salt and light. Because of the false evangelism, we produce false converts. And most preachers are just managing tares that have never truly been birthed of God. Jesus said, except a man is born again, he cannot see nor enter the, enter the kingdom of God, and neither can he preach it. A man must first be truly born of the Spirit of God if he is going to be an evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when a man is born again, two things take place. Number one, there's a sense of purpose and calling in that life. When I was born again, I didn't know that I was called to preach, but I knew that this gospel was worth everything. I knew that I had found the answer to everything. I knew that I would found the pearl of great price, and I wanted nothing else but to know this God that had saved me. And that's what happens when a man is truly born again. He is provoked to find his place in the body of Christ. Number two, there comes within that heart a pure motive, a jealousy for the glory of God. And this is essential. If we are going to be kept from weariness and compromise, we must understand that we preach first and foremost for the glory of God. Paul said, Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. To some we're a savor of death. To others we're a savor of life. But unto the Father we are a savor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God calls that successful. And if that is our heart and our burden, then we will not grow. And we will not compromise. This glorious evangelism, I believe, can be defined as the earthly expression of our revelation of God. And the reason why people don't evangelize correctly and biblically is because they do not know God. They are merely representing what they think God is like. So if a man is going to represent God, he must know God. And to know God, a man has got to be birthed of God. I believe it is also significant. As I was preparing this message, I saw something so glorious and so wonderful. It is significant to note that God's model evangelist was the fruit of a godly couple's prayer for Jesus. You think about that. A burden, a prayer, a desire for children. That was what John the Baptist came out of. The Bible says, why did he make two one? That he might seek a godly I meet people, they've been married two or three years. I ask them, how many children do you have? They say, none. We're just waiting. They're not waiting on God. 
It is the will of God when a man and woman come together that there would be fruit, that there would be children born into that household. People look at a family with a lot of children and they cringe within. Do you know why? It's because they're self-centered and not God-centered. They look at those children and they see what it's going to cost themselves, but they don't see the value of a child to God. The Bible says that when a man repents, all of heaven rejoices, not because somebody has been saved from hell, but it's another opportunity for Christ to live within the earth. I realize on Mardi Gras why they don't want us to have more children when Michael Williams and Timothy Keaton climbed up on that toolbox and preached the gospel. That's why they don't want us to have more children because it's more vessels, more preachers, more opportunities to exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. May we be greedy and jealous for more children, for vessels that our Lord might fill. And remember tonight that this herald of God, this voice crying in the wilderness, came forth out of mute unbelief. Why is that? What is God trying to speak to us? I believe He's trying to show us tonight that the excellency and the power is not of ourselves, but it is of If you see any virtue, any authority, any grace in any man, Paul said he was the greatest, I believe. There is no good thing in me. And when you see any man with grace and victory and boldness and authority, it's only a product of the grace and the Spirit of God. But nonetheless, we must take the land. We must step out by faith and put the sole of our foot upon it. And when we do that, God will work it within our hearts. But He wants us to know tonight, Paul said, in much fear and trouble, it's not of ourselves. Don't be discouraged tonight, but be encouraged. God is able, and He's no respecter of persons. The Bible said Elijah was a man subject to like passions as you and I are. He was subject to them, but he was not restrained and hindered by them. By faith, he overcame his fears and he obeyed God. Secondly, in John the Baptist, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's Now, theologically, I don't understand that. But evangelically, I do. If he is a type, a model of God's evangelist, God wanted us to know and to see the absolute importance and necessity of being filled with the Holy Ghost. I agree with Brother Clinton tonight. It is as imperative for a born, for an unregenerate man to be born again as it is for a regenerate man to be filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost. The Great Commission was given in Pentecostal context. And it will only 
be fulfilled in Pentecostal power. I like what Brother Britt said. You meet people all the time, good and fine brothers, have wonderful fellowship with them. But when it comes to standing and confronting the world on their own turf, he said, and I agree with it, he's never seen anyone not full of the Holy Ghost that could stand for Christ in the face of that opposition. We must be baptized in the Holy Ghost of God. It says the child grew. He waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert until the day of his showing unto Israel. We must understand tonight that God's only need throughout all of history has been a yielded vessel through whom he that vessel must be prepared God's way. And in this hour, people don't want to do things God's way. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but it's going to end in death. But likewise, there's a way that seems wrong unto our flesh and our natural thinking. But if we'll take that way, the way of the cross, yes, there will be death, but the end of that way is life. I think about young David. If when he was a boy, they'd have told him that one day he's going to fight Goliath the giant. Well, the natural, the carnal mind would have had him in combat school, learning the techniques of warfare. But God's ways are not man's ways. God had him on the backside of a desert with a harp, taking care of sheep. And as he was out there, he fell in love with God. And on that day, when he came to bring his brothers some cheese, that love for his Creator rose up within him, and he said, Is there not a cause? That's how God prepares people. Jesus said, I've ordained you that you might be with me. And then he sent them forth into this world. When Jesus was 12 years old, he said, I must be about my Father's Oh, there's an urgency in that much. It seems like he ought to have been busy. He ought to have been doing many things. But his father's business for the next 18 years was submission under Mary and Joseph at a carpenter's bench. That is God's way. God took John the Baptist, sent him out on the backside of a desert for 30 years to prepare him for six months of ministry. Don't be discouraged tonight. Oh, I believe tonight. I'm just so blessed. I feel like the most fortunate man on planet Earth. I tell people half joking, but I'm half serious. I believe that God's plan for man is that a man would cut grass, preach on the streets, and attend a good church. Because in that atmosphere, in that arena of God's Bible school, He can teach you anything that He needs to teach you. He can bring up any circumstance, any situation. He can reveal anything to us. God's only need is a vessel. He's got all the power. He's got all the money. He can heal anybody. I lay my hands upon, but He has a hard time finding a man that He can trust. But if a man will just set himself just to be faithful under God, to be obedient in the little things. When God finds such a vessel, all of heaven is open unto that man. Oh, Jesus. God's Bible school 
Somebody asked her, lady John, what seminary did you go to? He said, I went to Bush University. The lady said, do I know anybody else that's been there? He said, you might have heard of That is God's way of fashioning His men. The Bible says if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. The only way to learn is by doing. You say, preacher, how can I learn to be an evangelist? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And those who refuse to evangelize according to the biblical pattern are at best spiritually anemic. I learned more on a bench on a college campus than I ever could have learned. God wants to teach us and instruct us as we go out and do. That's where we truly come to learn of Christ. The next element of biblical evangelism seen in John is that of a method and that of a message which is according to the Bible. And I want to let us know tonight, people say, I agree with your message, but not your message. With your method, it is impossible. They are one and the same. What we're experiencing in our generation, I believe, is a a crisis of methodology, which has eternal ramifications. God don't only tell us what to do, but He tells us exactly how He wants it done. He says, if a man strives for mastery, be sure that he strives lawfully. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I hadn't been able to find this in my lexicons yet, but I bear witness with it. My old pastor said that means to technique a good fight. It speaks of Greco-Roman wrestling when there are strict rules in which a man must fight by. It's not just a free-for-all. There is a way that God would have us to fight. There is a way that God would have us to evangelize. When Moses built that temple, he said, be sure that you build according to the heavenly pattern. And we had better be sure tonight that our evangelism is according to that heavenly pattern. When God said He wants worshipers, He told us how He wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. You see billboards all over the place. It says, Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. But you turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms. He says, I am nigh unto all those that call upon me in truth. Not just calling upon Him, but He tells us how He wants us to call upon Him. These things are essential. And when He said about evangelism, He said, This gospel shall be preached. Not mimed, not wrapped, but preached. That is His primary method of communicating His message. And the Bible says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. Well, I can already hear it now. They say, well, yes, John the Baptist was out there in the wilderness. He didn't go. He wasn't officious like Brother Matt said. He didn't invade somebody's Mardi Gras party. He was out there and people came unto him as they chose. Well, it says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching. So if he came, he must have went 
from somewhere and he went exactly where God told him to go. And the Bible says, if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. He was obedient to go and God blessed it by drawing men to come and to hear. His message was preaching. And when we speak about preaching, we speak of authority. We speak of passion. We speak of zeal. And we speak of volume as well. We were at the Illusions Club not long ago. A limousine pulled out. The chauffeur got out, claiming to be a Christian. And as I went over there, I began to talk with him. He says, I don't mind you and I talking about it. And he pointed over to Brother Brad. He said, but I don't like that. Sir, let me tell you why. When you and I talk, it's man to man. But when a man preaches the gospel, it's God talking to man. And I said, because you're a rebel against God, you don't like to be talked to like that. That's why people don't like preaching. It's because they're rebels against God. What was the message of God? The Bible says His message was the message of that message to men in a personal manner. He said, if you got two coats, give one away. He said to the tax collectors, exact no more than a deal. He told that soldier, he said, do violence to no man and be content with your wages. He told those Pharisees, he said, you're a brood of vipers. And he said, your church going is vain. And as the old preacher said, he reloaded that rapid-firing gospel gun with the seventh commandment. And he said, Herod, it's unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. And it cost him his head. That was the price that he paid. But he was willing to preach repentance and to apply the Word of God in a personal manner unto men. And he said, if you don't obey, you're on your way to hell. Now, we live in a day in which people are squeamish with the doctrine of hell. I'll tell you what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, I love to preach to little children about hell because they're so easily terrified in their youth. I like what my pastor said. He said it'd be a good thing for my children to lie awake in their beds at night terrified of going to hell. That's a good thing. That's a profitable thing. And if we love men, we are going to speak the truth unto them. When you tell somebody to repent, you're telling them that they are wrong. You're telling them they're a rebel and a criminal against God. You're telling them you think wrong, you live wrong, you're heading in the wrong direction. You're telling them that your best of works are nothing but filthy, mistress rags. You're telling them that they're not right with God, that their prayer is an abomination. You are demanding them with heavenly authority to lay down their weapons of warfare and to stop sinning against God. And when you tell people that, they are going to get angry. Some people say, well, that's not loving picture. I beg to differ. Jesus said as many as I love. I rebuke and I chasten. Open rebuke is better than secret love. We must not 
be schooled by this reprobate, hypocritical, God-hating generation. We must not allow them to define what love is, but we must let a man be hung over hell by our preaching. We must let that man be undone within our sight to feel his guilt, to see the foul revolt, his ingratitude against such a wonderful and benevolent God. And we must not give in to humanistic sympathy. I've talked to people out at LSU, Catholics, and they say, what about Mother And I say, Mother Teresa is one of the most hateful You say, preacher, how can you say that? Because that woman took people, gave them a bed, gave them food, and as they're lying there, about to approach into eternity, she said, oh my child, you're a Muslim, be a good Muslim. If you're a Hindu, be a good Hindu. And she put that mouthful of food in their mouth and gave them a warm bed and sent them to hell for eternity. The Bible says that the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. That woman didn't love anybody. She sent people to hell by withholding the truth from them. If you study through the Scriptures, I've been told before in going out and preaching, you need to talk more about God. It provoked me. I went through the Scriptures. I started in Matthew, went all the way through the Gospels, and I found a most amazing Jesus, in speaking to unregenerate man, you know how many times he even mentioned the love of God? One time. That was to Nicodemus, who was a sincere and honest We need to be, as Brother Britt said, motivated by love. He loved them by testifying that their deeds were evil and then laying down his life. The Holy Ghost has not come to prove the love of God. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago, but He's come to demonstrate it by reproving the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And if you think about this, it was said of John the Baptist that He was a comforter unto Israel. We need to allow God to define our terms. You hear people today, oh, you're turning to home. You're scaring him. You're offending him. Please stop and cease with that angry tone. They look at our children and they say, Oh, look at these poor children out here carrying sandwich sides, quoting the scripture as a little crocodile tear comes down their eyes. But they wouldn't lift a finger to go out and to preach the gospel to anyone. As a woman was rebuking us today for preaching the gospel, I asked her a question, and I already knew the answer. I said, let me ask you this. How many times have you ever come out here on your own to preach to people and warn them? And she wouldn't answer the question because it's zero. She doesn't have the love to go out and do it. But she'll come and rebuke a 
gospel preacher for trying to obey the Bible. It is love to warn men to flee from the wrath to come. The Bible says, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions. John the Baptist was also unashamed to lift up Jesus in the splendor of divine purity and simplicity. His message was the whole Lamb of God. He said, I must that he must increase. Everything about John was self-abasing and Christ-exalting. His diet, his raiment, nothing to bring attention to the man, nothing to promote himself. Everything in John, he said, my joy is fulfilled that I can just hear the voice of the bridegroom. He wanted nothing for himself but only to see the Lord Jesus Christ exalted. It was pure ministry from a pure vessel and it had eternal results. John was a strong spirit endowed with the secret of leadership and influence, but he refused to allow his personality to infringe upon his cause. He found perfect happiness in effacing himself in the glory of God. When they came to him and they said, Who are you? I am just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Who was that one? It was the Holy Ghost. He was no one. He was just a channel through which a pure manifestation of God could be manifested here in this earth. I read a quote by a man named Charles Wagner. He said, look at the clock. When the hour comes, it marks it. Whether it be the hour of birth or death, the hour of joy or sorrow, the hour of long-for reunitings or heartbreaking farewells, the clock without respect of persons or occasion faithfully marks the hour. We must imitate the clock in full consciousness through absolute submission. We must surrender ourselves to be humble instruments of truth. We don't possess truth. Truth must possess us. And when such a brave soul conceived once and for eternity to be a love slave to truth without blessings, without fear of man, without other desire than being faithful, he proclaims what is just and true and right and good. And the mountains are less firm on their foundation than this man. For he is a voice, a voice of one who is eternal. No hip lingo, no buddy Jesus from John the Baptist. No employment of mimes, music, or movies. No surveys, no gimmicks. Not trying to sanctify the chaff of this world. I get so sick. You drive by and see a billboard. You got milk. And so the backslidden church tries to sanctify that nonsense. And they make t-shirts that say you got Jesus. 
They won't go out and preach the gospel, but they'll take the fruit of a God-hating, Christ-rejecting Catholic, and they'll take that field and try to sanctify it and use it for evangelism. God doesn't need the movies of this world to evangelize the earth. He needs someone to be a voice. That's His need. John was a man full of the Holy Ghost who preached repentance. He said, I'm a debtor to the Greek and I'm a debtor to the Bible. To the wise and to the unwise. He said, I don't care if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're a rapper or a nuclear physicist. He had one message. A message of repentance. Paul said, I've determined to know nothing save Christ and Him crucified. That is the only need that a man would be full of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. When Brother Clinton did would send forth those magic from the school of Christ, he would tell them, he'd say, sorry, it'd be okay if you had a peace system. It'd be okay if you had a keyboard. It'd be okay if you had a van. He would tell them, no, but all you truly need is to be full of the Spirit of God and to go where He sent you and to plant and place that cross in that earth and lift up your voice and preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the only need. When Wesley was asked, how do you get men to come and hear you preach? He said, I let God set me on fire and men come and watch me burn. It's so simple. Paul said, I fear that you've been beguiled from the simplicity of Christ. He just said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the answer to everything. If we would just obey and believe the Bible. The next thing we see is the aim of John the Baptist. He came at death to make ready a people prepared for the That was his supreme desire. Not trying just to get another scout, not trying to get men to heaven, but trying to get heaven to earth. He wanted to see men prepared for Christ to come and rule and reign as King Sovereign in that life. You know, there's such perversion in this hour. The purpose of the church is the Bible says is to equip men for the work of the ministry. But we've turned it in to some kind of a cruise ship sailing through this world trying to give men a better life, trying to give them joy and wholesome entertainment as they go through this earth. I read on a website of a popular church, it said on the introduction, we found that serving God, they won't mention Jesus, is the most enjoyable way that a man can live. That's what the church has been turned into in this hour. It's no longer the house of God. It's the house of man. It no longer exists for God's glory and interest, but to please and to gratify carnal God-haters who want to use God rather than serve Him. And in this hour, the precious Holy Ghost of God that has been sent to give us power that we might fulfill the Great Commission, it's been turned into some kind of a hoot. People thinking it's a shout or a buck 
for a jump. Yes, I believe in all of that. But let's not reduce the Holy Ghost unto such as that. He was sent to make us witnesses unto the Lord Jesus Christ. John was not after decisions, but disciples. He was not after crowds, but converts. He didn't want Sunday schoolers, but martyrs. Ringling brother and Barnum and Bailey circus can draw a crowd. But it takes a cross and an altar and the Word of God to fashion a vessel meet for the Master's use. What John wanted is that when people were born again, they were prepared for Jesus to come and rule and reign as Lord over every area of their life. And that, and that alone, is true Christianity. So let us not be deceived tonight, brethren. sin of John the Baptist says he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, perfectly obedient, not a reed shaken by the wind. But this man, who was prepared for 30 years for six months of ministry, found himself in a prison cell awaiting to get his head chopped off. Now John the Baptist, he baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the dove, the Spirit of God, descending upon him. He said that God had spoken unto him of who this Christ was. He perfectly fulfilled his ministry. But he found himself in a prison cell. And he sent unto Jesus. He said, are you he that should come? Or should we look for God? I always wondered what's going on here. John the Baptist is facing the same thing that every man or woman will face when they set their hearts obey God. I've seen it in my life. Just obeying God. You just 
seek to preach the gospel, to do what God's called you to do. You just obey the Bible and all hell breaks loose. Your family comes against you. Those that you thought were brothers and sisters, they don't understand you. I went with Brother Brent to preach the gospel at Louisiana Tech. I was living in a small town with my grandparents. When we went there to preach, we were arrested and thrown in jail. Now, people think in this hour, if you're thrown in jail, you had to have done something wrong. But Paul spent much of his life in a prison cell for preaching the gospel. But when I went back to my little hometown there, to my little quaint cottage there in the woods, I'll never forget as I pulled up to the, the, the uh, grocery store there in that town, and as I passed by that newspaper box on the headline, it said, Wascom Evangelist, arrested. Oh, no. My grandparents aren't going to like this too much. They knew just about everybody in the town. And I'm telling you, a hornet's nest broke loose. They came down there. My grandfather ripped my heart off. While I was away, somebody broke into my house, stole all of my guns. I'm sitting here thinking, what's going on here? I'm just seeking to obey God. What is this oppression? What is this warfare, this sickness in my stomach? But I've learned that that is the normal warfare that every man of God is going to face as he walks and follows Christ. Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He said, resist the devil because the same affliction is accomplished in your brethren. I thought it was the end of the world. But looking back on it now, I know exactly what it was. It was a demonic spirit trying to sit me and trying to turn me from obedience unto God. And I'm going to tell you, if you leave this conference and set your heart to obey God, all hell is going to break loose. A good friend of mine left this conference last year, a medical doctor, went back to his practice, supposed to be a Christian practice. He told his missionary doctor friend that God had called him to preach the gospel on a campus there at Appalachian State. And those men told him, if you do that, you'll have to choose between this practice and you and Jesus. Don't be deceived tonight. When you follow God, hell is going to set itself against you. But I believe tonight, as Brother Clendenin has said, he said, looking back over 35 years of ministry, he said, I found out that most of the trouble that I faced was because I was right and not because I was wrong. It's human nature. We think if everybody's against us, we must have done something wrong. And we have got to learn to overcome that. Not to be moved by those feelings. And that's why Jesus, He sent word back to John. He said, Blessed are they who are not offended in Me. He had allowed that. It was because of Christ. And he was saying, blessed are those that are not offended by the fallout and the cost and the oppression that will come into your life when you follow me. That must be wrought within our soul. And when it is, it won't sift you. It won't discourage you. It will only be a token that you're in the will of God. That's why Jesus told His disciples, he said, if you love me, you'll obey my word. 
If you obey my word, I'll manifest myself through you. And when I do that, they're going to hate me just like they hated you. But he said, I'm telling you this, that you would not be offended. He was trying to get it within the hearts of his disciples. He said many times, he that has an ear, let him hear. But one time he said this, let this sink down deep into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed and crucified. It was the one thing they could never grasp and never understand. How a man, for doing what's right, could suffer such wrong. But just chalk it down tonight. We follow Christ. We're going to find ourselves in the same prison cell as John. And blessed are those of us who are not offended in Christ in that hour. Lastly, we see the faith of this evangelist. Joseph Parker said, The man whose little sermon is repentant sets himself against the day. There is but one end for such a man. Off with his head. You had better not try to preach repentance until you have pledged your head. And I believe in our lifetime that you and I have some opportunity to make John the Baptist, all he had to do was bite his tongue. He could have saved. And now is the hour in this nation for each of us. Find out what we really Because we are simply to be placed in situations where what we say is going to determine our faith. We need to know what we believe. When John Wesley prepared his preachers, he said, Preacher, you need to be prepared for three things. You need to be ready to preach, ready to pray, and ready to die. You and I, as the Bible says, we are called witnesses which is a martyr, which means we are willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the truth that we have. That's why the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not, not even at the cost of our lives. Now we look at John the Baptist. At his head, John the What did he really Well, the Bible says it's Speaking to this man, he was a pastor. The pastor said that the authority had come to him and said, They said, We're going to take away your churches. And that pastor looked at that authority and he said, Sir, he said, You have one of three choices. He said, Number one, you can take away our churches and we'll meet. You can take away our houses, sir, and throw us in your jail, but revival is going to break out. Or, sir, you can kill. We've been wanting to go home to be with Jesus ever since we got here. I'm telling you tonight, nothing can stop this gospel. Heaven and earth may pass away, but God's Word shall never, ever pass.
away. I read of Chrysostom, that preacher of the early centuries. He was a pastor of a church and the government, the emperor of Rome, came and banished him from Rome. His congregation was distraught. But Chrysostom looked at his congregation. He said, brethren, he said, what shall I fear? Banishment? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Shall I fear death? Christ is my life. He said, what shall I fear? The seizure of my earthly goods? He said, I brought nothing into this world and I'll take nothing out. The motto of Chrysostom was, since heaven has become my home, this whole world is a place of exile. Then the author said after that, he said, you tell me who was truly emperor of Rome in those days. It was a man full of God doing the will of God. And that's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of this gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to those that perish. It is foolishness. But to those that are saved, it is the power and the strength and the wisdom of Almighty God. And may we arise and stand in this hour and preach this glorious gospel, being faithful unto that heavenly Hallelujah. Let's stand tonight. It's the truth. It's so plain. It's so good. But the Bible says, Sister Christian, the Bible says, from the day John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. We're going to obey God, find ourselves great in the sight of the Lord. We're going to have to exercise violence, violence against the spirit of the faith, violence against our fears. We are going to have to rise up in the strength and the might of the Spirit of God and preach the Word. It is the only answer. It is the only solution. God's only need tonight is a vessel. Seeking for a man, the Bible says. The Bible says that John was a man. And tonight I want to open these altars up. He's still searching tonight for a man. He's just searching for a vessel. All that he needs is a man or a woman that will lay down their life that you might live.
Amen. Let's all stand. Why don't we sing that chorus one more time, sister? Let's just sing. Sing it as in a prayer. Amen. A, a prayer unto Jesus. I surrender all. again with all of your heart unto Jesus. the praise tonight. Are you thankful for the truth? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the Word of God. Six o'clock tomorrow morning, we'll meet for prayer over in the cafeteria. God bless you. Hug somebody as you go. We will see you in the morning. Amen.